to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 34, Toy Story 2, The British Invasion. This podcast is brought to you by Amazon.com. Use our affiliate link to support the show while getting the same great deals that Amazon has to offer. You can buy anything from books to DVDs to toys. You can even get that good old Buzz Lightyear toy that you've always been looking for by using our affiliate link, therotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Really, the easiest way that you can do this is just save that link, therotoscopers.com slash Amazon, to your favorite browser bar. You know, those little icons that you can just save and you can click them really quick. So every time you click it, it'll give us a little credit. How cool is that? Thank you to everyone who's been using the link. It's really helped support the show. And thanks to anyone who uses their link in the future. Enjoy the show, guys. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm one of your co-hosts, Morgan Stradling, and I'm here with my other co-host, Mason Smith. How are you, Mason? Hey, good. And Chelsea's not here. She forgot that she was running a half marathon this weekend, and so um, she's on the road. <laughs> but in her place, we have an amazing guest host. We have William Jardine from A113Animation.com. Welcome, William. Howdy. Howdy. This, no problem. That was a perfect salutation to use for this movie. <laughs> Seriously. Or maybe you're paying homage to Mason. I'm, I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll t- uh, the second choice, definitely. <laughs> a little bit of both. Yes. So about William, he runs an amazing animation website blog called A113animation.com. I think it's one of the best out there um, content-wise because he really has great um, editorial and insights, and they're really in-depth when he goes into talking about different things. Yeah, do you want to kind of give people what, how you got into it and, and what you do? Obviously, like you two, I really like animation. and It, it felt like it wasn't going to any um, concrete purpose other than pestering my friends with random facts and telling them who John Lasseter was. <laughs> so in November 2010, I started the blog and just kind of built it up from there and it got to the point now where it kind of takes over my life. <laughs> you know, spend a, a good several hours a day posting on it. And we've got, I've got a couple of other writers now who do some reviews and editorials for me as well. I mean, it's just a super interesting area for me anyway. And I, I know for uh, you two as well. And it gives me, it gives me something to do with my time. Uh, you wrote a great article, a guest post for us um, saying essentially that animation isn't kid stuff. And that is a huge misconception. And so Sometimes our friends aren't so into it, so it's glad to, to go online and realize there's other people like us out there. Okay, so what have you guys been watching animation-wise recently? We'll start with Mason. Uh, let's see. Animation-wise, I saw a movie with a lot of horrible special effects, so I don't know if that counts as animation. Yeah, it does, because it had uh, animated uh, CGI wolves, uh, and that was a Twilight Breaking Wind, I mean, uh, Breaking <laughs> Dawn Part 2. I, uh, I, Me and Shanna saw it on purpose so that I could see the last one without seeing any of the other ones. Nice. And, uh, oh, it was horrible. Uh, we laughed a lot, though. <laughs> and uh, let's see, what, what else have I wa- been watching with animation lately? No, that's about it, because I've been uh, I, I'm trying to get ready for spring break, uh, working on projects and stuff and in the studio and such. Very cool. Um, I have been watching 
I recently watched Rio because it was something I never saw when it came out and I've always been meaning to watch it and just never got around to it. And so I had some free time at night and just put it in and watched it. And I was actually very surprised coming from blue sky. They kind of, they have their ice age thing and they hold to that. And so I don't know if I was expecting sort of the same style and humor, but I, I was really impressed with the storyline and the animation was great. And, and I understand why they're making a sequel. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked the Brazilian theme and, you know, the birds. And I went and I looked and I discovered that it's kind of based on a true story in the fact that not that there's talking birds or anything, but they're the type of macaw that these two birds are supposed to be. Um, I think it's called a, a Sphix macaw. Back in 2000, the last known male actually disappeared from the wild. And so they're extinct in the wild, but they're not extinct in, um, in captivity. So I was, it, it got me on a rant of, of searching on Wikipedia and studying on macaws. And it was really kind of sad seeing how many have been extinct. But it was a good story, and I liked the way they, they put it. And it was just fun. Hey, good deal. So what about you, William? Well, Toy Story 2, as we'll get on to a little bit later. Awesome. And um, I watched uh, Hotel Transylvania again the other day there. Uh, Sony film, which I liked a lot more than I did the first time round. I mean, the story isn't that great. It's, I mean, you get what you expect going into it, but what I, I really liked about it, I think is the same everyone really liked about it, is it's computer animated, but it's got like this really exaggerated cartoony animation, which I think is largely due to the influence of Gendy Tartakovsky, who uh, made Samurai Jack and Dexter's Lab. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's just a really fun film. I mean, it's a bit cringy when they start with all the music stuff and we got Andy Samberg's character playing guitar and rapping and stuff, but it is a fun film. That's another one I have yet to see, but I really, really want to. It was right before we got on the press list. That was the movie right before, <laughs> and they couldn't get us in. I was really bummed. I'm, I'm excited about that. that one. Got a lot of buzz, but not enough for Oscar <laughs> nomination. It did really no, well. It, it got the gold. It got a Golden Globe nomination, but then everybody complained about that because was it Paranorman? They didn't nominate, but yeah. they did nominate Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> Yeah, it's practically heresy considering all the awards and all the all the attention that Paranormans got over Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> Could see how mad they are. With Adam Sandler's streak recently, live action or not, I mean, yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> So, oh yeah, I, I forget. I, I saw the Oscar-nominated animation animated shorts. Ooh, which recently? Which did you like? What was your pick? Oh, I really liked um, Maggie and the from The Simpsons and The Longest really? Daycare. Cool. Um, I just think the Simpsons are super clever with their social commentary, and uh, I, thought, I thought they did a really good job of just making some really good tongue-in-cheek observations there. Uh, Adam and Dog was super cool. I agree. I mean, male nudity aside, it was uh, <laughs> it was great. Um, very naturalistic, and it was very beautiful, and it really it really made it really had a good message. You know that we're we're isolated and we're alone without our companions and. And it was uh, it was a really cute ending, and I thought it was really good. Of course, Paperman, of course, you know, technologically advanced and, and amazing and stuff. Uh, but I, I, and then the guacamole one was super cool. <laughs> that one was great. As Texans, and Morgan as someone who lived in Texas, you know we're all we're all about guacamole, and oh, it, I just it. thought it was super funny. Like it was super <laughs> short, but it was like so clever. Really yeah. good stuff. And you know what I noticed? I noticed that a lot of these films. Um, have no dialogue in them. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it because of that, you know, because animation is all about, you know, the illusion of life and, and all that and, and making sure you can communicate to an audience something that's an, an, an abstract form. And it was a really good uh, exhibition of that in these animated shorts. Super cool. I don't think I've talked to it on the podcast yet because I wasn't in on the last episode. No, so. I don't even that's think kind of my... we really went too much into it. So 
William, how did you feel about the shorts and the films and who ultimately won? I think it was always going to be Paper Man that won it. And I think mm -hmm. it, it was very well deserved because it's, uh, it's a brilliant short film. I don't really know anyone who argues that. Mm -hmm. um, but one I really liked as well was, oh, I feel, is it Head Over Heels? The little stop motion one uh -huh. with yeah. the, the man and his wife stuck on the ups, uh, opposite, ends, uh, opposite sides of the house. I just thought it was... Really clever, really interesting, and I, I love anything with, uh, to do with stop motion. So I thought it was a really good little short film. And as you, as Mason said, Adam and Dog was absolutely brilliant. I really like the music in Adam and Dog as well. Uh, Fresh Guacamole was good, but I didn't think it was ever going to win just because it was so short and so kind of one-noted in a way. And uh, Longest Day Care was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I I thought that Paper Man was going to win. But after I saw Adam and Dog, I thought I became like captivated with that movie, I guess. Like, kind of fell in love with it. And so I was kind of pushing for it because I, I would have liked to have seen a smaller, you know, director get a little acknowledgement. But then again, Disney put so much hard work, like Mason said, technologically into um, Paper Man that it, it was kind of a hands down winner. Cool. And, and speaking kind of sociologically here, I... I also appreciated that there was a that Adam and Dog even got nominated, you know, for being having such a biblical theme. You know, it wasn't all religious, you know, but it had this really cool kind of take on, um, you know, the biblical story of Adam and Eve. And it kind of reminded me of uh, Prince of Egypt. Remember our discussion about that? Mm -hmm. Prince of Egypt was so dynamic and explosive and amazing, you know, and it had this religious theme. And um, I don't know, it kind of it was kind of interesting because I remember last, last year's animated shorts. They, you know, they're all, they're a lot about the environment. Uh, there's one that got honorable mention that was all about like solar power uh, versus everything else and and stuff and and uh, I don't know I just thought I just thought Adam and Dog was kind of a cool fresh kind of look back I, I don't know it was just interesting yeah definitely but yeah I never got to see Head Over Heels I think I got a lot of broken links on YouTube or any, or something <laughs> oh yeah but I saw most of them there was a lot of drama with that <laughs> <laughs> well then how about a quick round of catch and fire catch and fire you mean me. You're the only one with enough c c c c c c c courage. <laughs> so we are now going to do our little segment called Catch and Fire. And we usually do this, um, we've been on it twice. I think we did it with Mason. And then we did it with Frack on our, when we interviewed him when he was talking about working at DreamWorks. So for those of you who don't know, Catch and Fire, it's a phrase taken from the film The Swan Princess, embarrassingly. But it's it's good because it's just kind of a rapid-fire Q&A segment, and it helps us get to know each other and kind of animation our likes and dislikes. So we're going to play it right now with William. Are you ready? Bring it on. Okay. Okay, so first. First animated movie you remember seeing? Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter Pan, I think. Ooh, good one. Uh, favorite cartoon growing up? The Simpsons. Favorite animated movie? Toy Story 2. No, not to give the game away at all, but <laughs> Toy Story 2. Well, we picked the right man for this episode. <laughs> favorite animator or artist? I really like uh, the work of uh, Dice Susumi, who's the... Uh, lighting supervisor or whatever on Toy Story 3. You're just talking general animation thing. I really like Brad Bird as well. Mm -hmm. uh, classic animation or CGI? Both. <laughs> Both. Nice. Favorite animation studio? Pixar. <laughs> Hence the A113. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disney or Pixar? Oh, uh, I'm going to say Disney just because without... Without Disney, there wouldn't really be a Pixar anyway. Oh, nice. Very diplomatic. Uh, Laika or Ghibli? <laughs> I'll go with Laika just because I haven't seen many Ghibli films. I'm with you there. I'm, I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> Disneyland. Princess Mononoke, come on. I know, I know. I've seen it. I've seen that one. Well, that's all you need to see. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm set. Okay, forget it. 
Um, Disneyland or Disney World? Well, I've, I've been to neither, so Disneyland, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Go with the original. <laughs> um, princesses or princes? Uh, Careful how you answer. I'll go with princesses then. Stitch or Tinkerbell? Stitch. People or anthropomorphic? Oh, anthropomorphic. People suck. <laughs> All about the animals. Crazy critters. <laughs> songs or no songs in animated films? Songs. Uh, who would win in a fight? King Fergus or Stoic the Vast? Uh, Stoic the Vast. Uh, Snow White or Sleeping Beauty? Snow White. Tiana or Mulan? Ooh, uh, Mulan. Uh, summer releases or winter releases? Summer releases, because when we have a winter release, we always have to wait until the following year in the UK. Oh, yes. <laughs> Rasputin or Dr. Facilier? Hmm, Dr. Facilier. And lastly, this is probably the toughest question of all, which we must ask everybody, is Return of Jafar or Cinderella 2? Oh, oh. I know. Both, they're both such good films. Oh. Um, uh, Return of Jafar, I guess. Cool. So, got a little note, got to know a little bit before about you before we go on. So, now, yeah. um, Mason, do you have anything to add to that or any other last-minute questions? No, it's just that I love Catching Fire because, you know, we're the podcast that asks the hard question. <laughs> you know, Return of Jafar, Cinderella 2. Oh, we make them choose. There's no there's no, no answer for that one. You must choose. <laughs> How shall she die? Shark or death by monkeys? <laughs> very topical quotation. Uh, we're all about the quotes, so that's kind of like my general life. I had to, like, cut back with, like, my real friends because they didn't quite get it and they were a bit it's obscure. It's so annoying. <laughs> Luckily, luckily, there's a couple of people in in my in my studio at A and M that I can pretty much spout out any Disney quote, and they can they can do a quick rebuttal. Awesome. With a counter quote. That was the best. Okay, so we have three news stories that are hot in animation this week. So the first one. Last episode, we did The Adventures of Tintin, and Chelsea and I were extremely uh, newbies when it came to it and, and pronounced a lot of names wrong, and we got, a lot of good, <laughs> we got a lot of good feedback from people saying, like, here, let us inform you about this, this franchise, and it was very informative and helpful. But speaking of, you know, the, the film was perfectly set up for a sequel, and we know that it's going to be a trilogy. So, William, do you want to take this story and, and talk about the potential sequel to this? Uh, yeah, sure. Um... Well, a lot of discussion about Tintin 2 has been what Tintin book, uh, or books rather, it's going to be based on. It's going to be based on two we've since found out. Um, Anthony Horowitz, uh, the guy who writes the Alex Ryder books, is doing the screenplay for it. And he, he told us on Twitter that uh, it wasn't going to be based on Prisoners of the Sun, which is one of the books most people want adapted into a film, because that's apparently going to be the third film. And just this week, uh, Steven Spielberg, who directed the first film, is producing the second film. Uh, him and Peter Jackson, who produced the first, are swapping over. And uh, he said it's based on two books that were originally intended to be, combi- uh, to be combined by Hergé, the author. It, we know it's not Prisoners of the Sun and uh, The Seven Crystal Balls. Uh, it can't be Red Rackham's Treasure and uh, Secret of the Unicorn, because Secret of the Unicorn was in the first film. So uh, that leaves... What did that leave? What are they um, doing, the Lotus? So, oh, yes, it's Blue Lotus then. But when asked about that, he said, no, no, Blue Lotus is going to be the third film, which hmm. doesn't tally up with anything we've heard this fa- thus far. Which could could mean, oh, maybe it's going to be Prisoners of the Sun. Basically, we have no idea, but it's interesting. (laughs) 
That's interesting because which is the one where they end up finding the treasure ultimately? Red Rackham's treasure. They have a little sh- a shark submarine built by Professor Calculus. That's the thing as well. Professor Calculus, who's one of the main Tintin characters, is in the second film, but Good. he's introduced in uh, Red Rackham's treasure. Hmm. Which they said it most likely will not be. Yeah, yeah. It's huh. it's it's confusing, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so they're basically <laughs> shuffling everything up, you know, I, for the pleasure I, of the fans. I think they're just trolling us. I think, <laughs> I think everything they have told us up to this point is complete cobblers, and we're going to find out what it actually is soon, hopefully. <laughs> so when's the anticipated release date? Tw- Christmas, Christmas 2015, they said they're aiming for, but it may fall back to 2016, because Peter Jackson was oh planning on shooting the motion capture for it this summer in, in the midst of post-production on the second Hobbit film, which isn't really reassuring to figure out he's shoehorning production of it into <laughs> his, like, free weekend. Yeah, seriously, I don't know. I think you should just focus on The Hobbit for now. Yeah, but yeah. then we won't get this for a long time. <laughs> That's the thing. I'd ra- I don't want to have to wait till like 2017 or something for it, but I, I, at the same time, I don't want to have it in 2015 if it's going to be rushed naff. Yeah, agreed. Hmm, interesting. Well, you have a very good write two different posts on your website about this. Um, we do Damien, one of your writers, is a big huge tintin fan right uh, well yeah that's an understatement he he lives breathes sweats and eats tintin um awesome. which he's our uh go-to tintin guy he wrote a big post about what uh tintin books the second film now could be based on and arrived at pretty much the same conclusion i came up with earlier that we have no idea well, the news is we have no idea what the second movie is going to be <laughs> In conclusion, folks. (laughs) Okay, so the next news story is there have been... uh, Walt Disney announced that there are going to be new Mickey Mouse shorts. Um, Oh, good. My shorts have been wearing out. I need a new (laughs) pair. (laughs) Clever. (laughs) So they haven't really done any Mickey Mouse shorts for a long time, and so they kind of debuted the announcement that they're going to be doing a new sort of short series, and then they gave us the first short, which was called... Croissant de Triomphe. Yes. Forgive my French. It's essentially any of the the spoken word in this one was French, but I mean, you didn't really need to know, understand French to do it. And it was a cute little short, definitely completely different art style. So what do you guys think about this? Uh, Yeah, I I loved it. It was, I mean, it's nice to see Mickey back in the focus a bit as well. I mean, there's there's been these rumors emerged the last couple of weeks that apparently uh, Disney are considering doing a Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit team up animated film, which... It's curious sounding, but I mean, with that and with these new shots, it's just great to see Disney putting the focus a bit more back on its mascot without making Mickey seem like a soulless corporate mascot. <laughs> That's true. See, I actually really like these shorts. I completely agree with you. Everything about Mickey, he has kind of been forgotten for a long time, and it seems for a while he was just kind of sort of intended for shorts, and now the uh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse TV show. Um, but it's still a huge focus at the, at the parks. So he hasn't been completely forgotten, but I really liked this short. I thought it was fun. It was really short. Um, the art style I felt was very contemporary and I'm wondering if they're do that, doing that just to sort of gain recognition from a modern audience. You know, a lot of TV shows are sort of in that style. A lot of kids it really resonates with. So, um, just something to kind of keep Mickey fresh. You know, it wasn't a complete redesign of the character. It was just a, a short in this style. I don't know if the other shorts will be continuation of this style, but if it is, I like it. The art style to me kind of looked like the amazing, uh, no, no, it was the ultimate Spider-Man TV series. Oh, yeah. Except obviously with less Spider-Man and more Mickey Mouse. <laughs> okay, so the last news story. This is a potential rumor, but uh, yeah, there's a bit of a wires crossed in this story, but... 
Disney is possibly doing for one of their next animated films a Rumpelstiltskin adaptation, which is called The Name Game. In this, the the original source said that Ron Clemens and John Musker were going to be directing this and that it uh, isn't going to be a 2D film, but other sources are saying, no, they're actually working on something completely different. They are working on sort of a tiki room, not even tiki room, but just a a story based in the South Pacific where a a tiki idol is kind of the main or a character. Ron and John probably aren't on this, but I mean, there has been no confirmation about whether this Rumpelstiltskin story is going to happen or not. I always thought this is one that they could do very well. It seems like kind of the next obvious step since they are so good with the fairy tale princess genre. So I kind of like this news. I mean, uh, with Wreck-It Ralph, we imagine that they're going to be doing some more original non-fairy tale stories. But then again, I don't see them ever really going away from this fairy tale genre. Uh, I don't know. I don't really want to. I don't know. I don't. I'm not really excited about it. Okay. I don't want to be a grumpazoid about this. I don't know. I just don't think it. I don't. I don't think it'd be cool. The Sounds name good. game. That is sort of a rough name. <laughs> I mean, Shrek 3D already kind of did the whole Rumpelstiltskin thing, and what in, in in the show Once Upon a Time, Rumpelstiltskin's kind of a cool character. I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think I they can do better. I mean, it's always interesting to see what Ron and John are coming up with next, but obviously we have no idea if this is what they're coming up with next. So mm-hmm. wait and see, I guess. Yeah. Let's wait and see till we get something more formal of an announcement. But then again, when it comes to Disney, they seem to wait till the very last hour until they uh, let us know about certain things. For example, Frozen, we don't have anything official technically yet. So pretty bummed. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to move on to our nerdy couch discussion. And since the topic of the podcast today is Toy Story 2, we decided to dive into Pixar sequels since it's sort of a hot topic right now. People are very like polarized about whether it's good, whether it's bad. So I decided since we had, you know, a wonderful panel here today, we would talk about it. Yeah, and, and they'll never make an Incredibles 2 film. Come on. Yeah. That that's why, so that's the first thing I want to say about these Pixar sequels is that, okay, Cars 2, come on. But uh, Incredibles 2 is like, okay, in in the wake of all these Marvel films, and all these superhero films and, and the world the worldwide obsession with superheroes, why not make an Incredibles 2 film? <laughs> come on. Well, originally that their, um, their their mantra was that they didn't do a sequel unless they had a really good story to accompany it, right? So I've kind of heard yeah. that um, with uh, the Incredibles potential sequel that there's just not Brad Bird doesn't have a story that would fit or would be worthy of a sequel. Um, and I he think has as well of... with Brad Bird moving on to all of his live action films at the moment, I don't know why exactly he'd slot Incredibles two in, and Pixar don't seem to want to do one without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on the current ones that have been released? Well, I, 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 as you'll find out in a few minutes, I quite like Toy Story 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, Toy Story 3 is absolutely brilliant. Um, actually, on that topic, I don't know if either of you have watched this absolutely ludicrous Beyond the Trailers video that came out a couple of days ago. Some woman saying Pixar are losing their touch. Uh, saying how the, uh, they're, they're basically only making sequels now and Toy Story 3 was loaded with 9-11 and Holocaust references. What? No, I did not even know oh about this. Oh, my gosh. Wow, conspiracy theory right there. <laughs> oh, why? Because of the whole Lotso thing? I, uh, yeah. Was, in his, uh, in his don't, death don't, camp? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't watch it. It'll only make you angry. Yeah, I'm, I'm angry already. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. I mean, you, you can't say something's based off the Holocaust without saying that it was first based off of something in the Bible, you know, because, you know, or the earliest literature, because, I mean, I don't know. I have this theory that most of most literary themes and literary uh, motifs stem from uh, the earliest literature, and, and, and the Bible is one of the oldest oldest recorded you know giant volumes that we have that have that have all that human drama in it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think people are just looking way too into it. You know, and who cares? Who cares if it if it refers to the Holocaust? And can't you make a connection to anything, pretty much? You can make a connection to anything. <laughs> um, so the thing I think that there's so much controversy or uh, uproar about about Pixar sequels is that, like I said, they, they only want to do original stories, or, or not original stories, a story that's worthy of the original. And for a, Pixar has a great track record. I mean, all their films, for the most part, are, are top-rated, great in the box office, really family favorites, successful. And so I think... For that reason, I think people put them on this pedestal and they think, oh, well, you guys are above that. You're above just resorting to a sequel. I mean, are sequels really that bad? Well, it, uh, well, Empire Strikes Back wasn't that bad. But uh, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, any, but that is exactly right. Pixar is on such a high pedestal that um, any film they put out is going to be under close scrutiny, especially sequels, because Pixar has this um, has this forever connection with Disney and Disney has this reputation of putting out really horrible sequels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so it kind of projects onto Pixar sometimes in people's minds. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned Disney and they and Disney. Yeah, like you said, is notorious for putting out these horrible direct to video sequels. But as for theatrical releases, they've only done two. Um, they've done The Rescuers Down Under, which is a sequel to The Rescuers and Fantasia 2000 sequel to Fantasia. So I when I kind of like read that, I guess I knew that, but I never really thought about it. Like Disney has been pretty good about not putting sequels out theatrically. Of course, they reserve them strictly for DVD. Uh, not that it makes it any different because the sequel is a sequel, I guess. <laughs> well, I think Rescuers Down Under was the reason why they stopped releasing them theatrically. What do you mean? It, or it influenced it because it, it didn't do as good as they wanted it to do. Oh, Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's what I've always thought. Yeah. So tell so, it. Anyway, I don't know. Um, I think it's a great film, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it did very good in the box office. And I think that's why Disney kind of started pulling them from pulling their sequels from theatrical releases and then outsourcing them to other studios. And so, I mean, I really like the Pixar sequels that they've put out. Um, Toy Story two, incredible. Toy Story three, even better. Some may say. I don't know. I'm still on the fence. Which one I like better? Um, it it's so hard because they're all really every day. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. And Monsters University, I'm not quite sure how I will take to it. I just imagine it's going to be good. And then Cars 2 was not a fan, but I was never a fan of the original Cars. So um, they're kind of like really good or okay, I guess. Well, I loved Cars, but I hated Cars 2. So what, what went wrong with Cars 2? Like, what, what, what do you think, The William? only thing that wasn't wrong with it was that they had one of the ships from Deadliest Catch at the beginning. <laughs> and then after that, I just lost interest. I, I mean, I may be alone in this, and by all accounts, I probably am, but I actually prefer Cars 2 to Cars 1. Really? What? <laughs> I, I did preface it with an I may be wrong. Um, Cars, I, I like, I know Cars is definitely a better film. It's got better character development and everything, but... The pacing is so brutally slow at times, which I know is deliberate, but I just, I don't take to that film as much as I do with other Pixar films. Whereas Cars 2, it wasn't trying to be awkward, it wasn't trying to be Toy Story 3 and have that kind of emotional resonance, which some may say is a weakness right from the start, but it was a fun film and it was happy to be just a fun film. Admittedly, Mater is a massive pain, but it had Michael Caine as an, as an Aston Martin DB5, what's not to love about that? 
Yeah, I know, right? That was that was well, that was one cool thing, I guess. And the, the first the first ten or so minutes of Cars Two have got to be some of the coolest moments of any Pixar film as well. Well, they were uh, they were pretty creative on how they kind of adapted all the cars uh, to use weaponry. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Make it this extreme action movie. Um, I did like that all the the Pugos and the Fiats were like these evil, broken down, broken down cars that want to uh, surgically surgically dissect other cars and use their spare parts <laughs> for them. Diabolical, but so Fiat. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just didn't. I just didn't like it as much as the first one. So not not hoping for a Cars three then. Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, it's it, the second one was so outlandish. What are they going to do for number three? Hey, Made her in space. They already did that for a short film. Oh, they did, didn't they? <laughs> um, well, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, I guess I guess they're kind of expanding it into planes, and I don't even want to get into that. And uh, yeah, that does look dreadful. I'll grant you that. <laughs> so, what is Dane Cook? How can you go wrong with Dane Cook? <laughs> I, I can only assume that's Disney's mindset with it. <laughs> that's funny. So what about the future? I mean, do we expect to see a lot more sequels in the future from them? I've always kind of said that ever since Disney sort of took the reins, we've seen a lot more. But whether that's good or bad, I mean, I understand there are shareholders that need to be pleased. And these are very, very popular franchises. So, I mean, there's been, you know, this constant rumor of Toy Story 4 and, and we know Finding Nemo 2 is a go. So what do we expect to see? Like, what would be the next unannounced Pixar sequel you would like to see? What's the I, would, I, would, I would expect to see Incredibles 2. <laughs> Just no, yeah, think, no, that's what I you want I think everyone would like that. Yeah. I mean, it was set up so perfectly, it seemed. I know. What are they going to do with the Underminer? <laughs> See, I imagine, although if they did do um, an Incredibles 2, I feel like the Underminer wouldn't be the main guy. I feel... No, he's way too lame. No, no, they would have... Yeah, exactly. They would have said, oh, yeah, we defeated him right after, and now there's this new baddie who's in, you know, causing us trouble. Well, they got to have a way to ha to put uh, Ratzenberger in it. Yes, that's true. Has he still been in every single Pixar film? So far. Oh, yeah, that means the Yeti has to, a young Yeti has to be at Monsters University. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I was curious about how they're going to fit him in. Because when Mike and Sully meet him, they don't go, ah, oh, it's you. Yeah, true. Snowman from University. Fancy seeing you here. <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually kind of excited for Monsters University. Like, oh, I, I yeah. know I just said I wasn't, but thinking, I think it will be fun. <laughs> they have a pretty good campaign going along, which Pixar is the best. Yeah, they really do. You know, they, they do these viral campaigns extremely well. They tie it into the films. They make it interactive and fun. So. I know they got all this cool, like, uh, university merchandise. But yeah, all this cool merchandise and all this cool stuff you can do. And uh, they really kind of got, because universities are fun. You know, college movies have always been these wild, you know, funny movies. And uh, they're going to they're gonna bring it up to the Pixar level. And uh, I think it's actually going to be pretty cool. I like how Randall's this little nerdy guy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Monsters University is more of a prequel than a sequel. But I think it still falls, falls under this discussion, definitely. So, last thoughts. Um, well, one, one Pixar film I've always really wanted to see a sequel to, and again, I may be alone in this, but uh, is A Bug's Life. Ever since like, you saw the little... Uh, Bugs Life 2 joke at the end of, uh, in the Toy Story 2 bloopers. But I know it's almost definitely not going to happen because obviously Joe Ramft passed away and he uh, one of the main voices in it. And I think another couple of the voice actors have died as well. Uh, so it's just like a pipe dream, really. Yeah, that one was pretty good. I, I just don't know if there's the following to make it... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel if they announced that, I'd be pretty excited. It would spark my interest again in, in Bugs Life. They should make a crossover movie called Bugs Life versus Ants. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to go over real well. <laughs> mandible! 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 
on to the main event, Toy Story 2. Coming to video. Woody, where's kidnapped? What are we going to do, Buzz? Use your head. But I don't want to use my head! Hold on. The toys are back in town. And just trying to get home. I'm sure guy Barbie. I'm a marriage spot. I'm a marriage spot. In one piece. Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Toy Story 2. Ride like the wind, bullseye! Coming soon to video and Disney DVD. This is the film that we've all been waiting for on their top <laughs> list, top favorite films. Well, it's a two movie, but it's not a bug's life. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people love this movie. This is Pixar's first sequel that they did, and rightfully so, I consider it one of their best. Yeah, so we're talking 1999. And just to kind of give a little perspective, I'm just going to list off a few uh, animated films that you might know that were released in 1999. Bartok the Magnificent, we, we talked about that before. Can't believe that was in the same year as Toy Story 2. Uh, Doug's first movie. Nice. I liked that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was a contender for best animated film that year. Not. <laughs> hey, come on. Um, uh, Fantasia 2000. Pretty good. Uh, the Iron Giant came out the same year as uh, Toy Story 2. Yeah, I'm feeling overshadowed. I mean, they were in different months, but yeah. When I think of 99, I, I think of Toy Story 2. Yeah, I know. I think that's why I never saw The Iron Giant, because in the year 1999, when this film came out, I pretty much dedicated my life to it, um, <laughs> and I really didn't see any other films. I saw Tarzan, though. Oh, how could you not? Uh, so weird. Tarzan and Fantasia 2000 came out in the same year, I guess. And then Doug's first movie, which was kind of being produced by Disney at the time, you know, when they were kind of making that takeover from Nickelodeon to Disney, uh, that proved to be Doug's demise. <laughs> um, Yu-Gi-Oh! The movie. Yeah, uh, I, saw also, that. I saw that. You, you did? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. <laughs> you know, there was also a Card Captors movie in the same year. Oh, do you guys remember Captors. Card Captors? Yes, I do. With Sakura, is that her name? You know, when people were like, well, we can't have monsters coming out of little plastic balls, so let's have monsters coming out of playing cards. Um, <laughs> so they started making all these movies about it, all these all these little franchises, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Card Captors. Yeah, uh, those hot. are the only ones that come to mind. But, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Know. Oh, uh, Digimon. Oh, Digimon. Digimon, eat your lunch. And then uh, a South Park movie. Ugh. And then Fairies. This, this is a UK release, but I found it on, on Wikipedia for William. Is that a, is that a thing? I've never heard of it. <laughs> okay. Um, just based on the yeah. name, I don't think it's his thing. You know, just trying to just try to be international here. Uh, yeah, it's so weird to think that this was 1999. Heck, I was 11 years old, uh, and this was the same year that Iron Giant came out. That nice. was crazy. So these were the films that it was up against. So of course, uh, Toy Story 2 just blew all of these away. I mean, even though there's some good films in here, Iron Giant, Tarzan... Um, we, we still don't know about fairies, but this was definitely the, the big film. I remember going, I remember, I think I remember the day I went and saw this film. It was, it was all, it was this main, it was this big event. Like I got my best buddy, uh, who we were, we were diehard Toy Story fans. We went to McDonald's, got the Happy Meal, got the toys for <laughs> Toy Story 2. And, you know, and then we, we took all that over with our moms to, to see Toy Story 2 in, in theaters. I remember how much I liked it. That's an awesome Brilliant story. film. <laughs> Uh, currently number one on Rotten Tomatoes' list of best-rated films. Bravo. Check it out. So I, was, uh, I was very pleased with that. So Number, number one best-rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. Hey, not too shabby. Not too shabby. <laughs> so in the box office worldwide, it did $485 million, which also, again, is not too shabby. Pretty good. Um, which Toy Story 3, I mean, doubled that. Didn't make it over a billion. 
Yeah. So this franchise is just on the upswing in popularity. So what are your initial thoughts? Um, Mason told us his uh, awesome McDonald's story. (laughs) Any other thoughts about this film? Um, well, obviously, given the fact that I'm here, I, I, I'm, I love Toy Story 2. It's my favorite film. It's been my favorite film since, I, can't, I have no idea when I first saw it. I, I'd say since then I've seen it what, 60 times, something nice. like that. I, I just absolutely love it. Every time I watch it, I like it more and more. I mean, Toy Story, is, it's the perfect trilogy almost. Well, I don't think there's an almost on it. It's the perfect trilogy. And it's just such a fun, heartfelt, exciting, brilliant, beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I remember first seeing this movie, and um, I think I mentioned this in our other Toy Story episode, but this movie was very emotional for me because I was about 12 or 13, and sort of in that um, growing up phase, turning from child to teenager, I remember seeing this with my dad, and during the, the song, When She Loved Me, I just remember... <laughs> Um, getting very emotional and crying because I, w- I felt guilty for growing up. Like, and you say complex, like, <laughs> and I just remember looking at my dad, like hoping that he didn't see and, and sad that I was abandoning him as his girl, as his little girl. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure my dad had none of these thoughts as he walked out of the film. But <laughs> for me, I mean, it, um, I mean, these, these movies kind of went right along with, uh, like basically like my, my path in life where I was playing with toys when the first one came out, I was kind of getting out of toys as the second one came out. Um, I graduated college by the third one, but still very much understood the, you know, the parallel with my life. But this one, I just always remember being hilarious, thinking that the bloopers at the end were just classic and just laughing and loving that this was even better than the first. Uh, I think it's it, the Toy Story films are kind of the perfect companion films for people of like a certain age. It's just like... It chronicles kind of our entire like, early lives, and I think that is a genius move on Pixar's part. I mean, I know they didn't uh, design originally to think, okay, after Toy Story 2, we will wait 11 years and then bring out the next one. Um, yeah. But it, it works well, because by the time um, the, pe- the kids who saw Toy Story 2 and loved it so much are grown up by the time Toy Story 3 comes out and then cry like uh, little children when they leave the film, and I'm particularly guilty of that. Um, I think it, it just goes so well, like how uh, people who were born in the 70s or the 80s particularly love Star Wars and how I, I kind of think people who are born... Uh, a couple of years ago or about now will feel about Wreck-It Ralph in the immediate future. Interesting. Yeah. I still play with toys. Yeah. So I, totally, I, was, I was totally into this film. I, <laughs> I I love when my niece comes over and she wants to play. It's like such an excuse to be like, just let it all out and be a kid <laughs> without anyone caring. It's because I'm playing with my niece. You can't yeah, judge but, me. <laughs> does she still call Rapunzel Tangled she, or did you fix that? Mm, half and half. She's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so let's talk about the development of this film because originally this film was um, a direct-to-video sequel. Yeah, seriously. You know, and, and the story of the production of this film is a little nuts. Um, on Wikipedia, it references a book by David Price, The Pixar Touch. Among the other things, you know, the, the change in, in producer and, 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 you know, the story problems and, and all the... What, what I really focused on, what really struck me was this whole time crunch concept uh, that as uh, as the development as it came to development and they were they were needing they were coming close to the release date and the deadlines and everything uh, production team really worked super hard on this film uh, perhaps a little too hard in some instances um, mm. I just remember reading uh, some stories about uh, I don't know working so hard that um, 
one worker, one Pixar worker forgot their baby in their car in the parking lot all day or something. And they had to get rescue workers in nothing. The the baby was fine. Um, You know, people, uh, multiple animators developing carpal tunnel. And uh, that's just from working on computers, I guess. I don't know. Uh, But it's nuts. It it really kind of reminds me of what it was like to work on my, uh, my uh, final project in in Indes 150 for BYU. Uh, It was uh, going down in the animation lab every day and working on a, on a, on a CG model that was just killing me because it absolutely had to be perfect and on time. So I kind of know what they're going through. Of course, I don't, I don't pull as pull off as many all nighters as, as I used to. Uh, it was just really crazy. All the script changes, you know, I, well, I guess there's multiple, you know, there's always been Disney films that underwent script changes, but it just seemed like this really hectic situation where people were really pushing um, to get this film completed. I mean, back, you know, in, in these times, Pixar uh, discouraged, um, uh, working over hours on on their films, so they could. What they did was they uh, decided whether or not you could take overtime. But uh, it says that, you know, from this book, it says that the Pixar workers would often their personal ambition would would, would often override that, and they would just push on through the night uh, uh, working on this on this film. Dedi- dedication. Yeah, I mean, and I'm happy. I'm so glad that they sacrificed and they were very dedicated because it was worth it how would toy story be today if it were direct to video would i don't i don't know i mean i looked and the original plot is somewhat similar for the most part there are there are changes and and when they decided to make those changes lasseter and the story team they they essentially rewrote the film in a weekend which is like pretty unheard of and then like you said they just were on like full gear, um, you know, for nine months to get it done before the release date, because Disney said, Hey, we're making this theatrical, but we're not changing the date. So good luck. But yeah, the fact the original plot, um, is pretty similar, but I just, I don't know if toy story would be as big if it were direct to video. I don't know if we would have, I mean, the epic third that followed. Well, that, that, that's the magic of John Lasseter. He can turn a film around completely in about eight months. <laughs> I spoke a bit about this a while back with Derek Clements, who uh, uh, runs the Pixar podcast, and we both agreed that the fact that uh, John Lasseter had to take over the production of the film and turn it round from a, a straight-to-video film that wasn't really working to a theatrical release that had to work in just a few months absolutely shows. I mean, I was in preparation for this. I was watching the studio stories features on the Toy Story 2 Blu-ray yesterday. It said apparently at one point they'd been working 36-hour shifts and there was one uh, one editor or producer or something didn't like uh, tomatoes. Uh, an assistant came in with a sandwich with tomato on and the editor fell to the floor screaming in fear. It was just kind of crazy that the... the <laughs> The, the lengths to which they uh, they went to finish this film and it absolutely shows it's just such a labor of love and there isn't really a wasted scene or a wasted frame in the entire film topically like brave that came out last year and then eventually won the oscar it had directorial troubles it had a bit of a uh, production woes but in the end it didn't matter it came out not only perfect but better than the first film which was already perfect yeah the power of a deadline, huh? <laughs> you are. Like, I, I know for me, sometimes I'll put off doing certain things, and then my best work is when I have an extreme time crunch, and it just has to get done rather than uh, just doing it my own leisure. Yeah, so some of the original changes there, Jesse wasn't involved. Um, there was uh, Instead, there was a character named Senorita Cactus. Uh, Bullseye talked. Um, 
Yeah. So, but then the whole um, Woody getting kidnapped and, and rescued, that was kind of similar. So just interesting. I, I can't imagine Toy Story without Jesse. It just seems really hilarious. There would have been this cactus character who would have been a villain along with, you know. <laughs> I think, Senorita I, I think, Cactus. I think she was actually planned for, um, you know, uh, was it Circle 7? Uh, the studio Disney set up just to specifically make sequels to Pixar films when it looked like Pixar weren't going to renew their deal with them just before Disney bought them. They, uh, I'm pretty sure Senorita Cactus was then planned as a villain for Toy Story 3. Oh, interesting. Fortunately, that didn't happen then either. Yeah, they were like really trying to push the Senorita Cactus. Senorita cactus. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> she was good and we had no cactus. idea. I th- I'm glad we have, have Jesse. So, you know, the movie opens up and it's probably one of my favorite scenes because you look around and it's, um, it's Buzz and he's in this, he's flying and he actually has lasers that work and he's, um, <laughs> you know, attacking. And so I, I, I just think... I probably my first reaction was looking around thinking like, am I in the right movie? Because um, this wasn't what I was expecting, but it's so good. It's so clever. I know it's, it's really cool. Cause it, it eventually gets so ridiculous that you're like, okay, I'm like in some sort of fantasy world or, or I'm in a dream or something, but what, what great visuals. I mean, okay. So we're talking four years between uh, toy story and toy story one. And uh, the visuals are cool when you're like flying through the galaxy you know, flying through the uh, the weird canyon with the floating rocks, which was uh, actually a mistake on the animator's parts, but uh, um, they liked it so much that they kept it in. You know, and uh, the graphics just have improved so well. It's it was really cool Pixar to just kind of show off how awesome their technology had gotten uh, in the past four years. Really enjoyed yeah. it. it. I mean, it does still, it looks old because, I mean, it is old, but when you compare it to Toy Story 1, it's absolutely mammoth difference in just four years. And, and it's just such a clever way to start the um, start the film as well because it showcases how how far the visuals have came along and it takes the the audience a little bit uh, by surprise, which has always been something Toy Story has done miraculously well. What I really like is you're in this fantasy world and then Buzz gets blown up and you're like, <gasps> and then you realize game So you know it brings you back and this is sort of like an intro, this sort of out of this world. Um, over-the-top intro that they continue in uh, Toy Story 3. The first one is is real life, how and, how Andy is playing. The second one is how Andy plays via video games. And the third one is, this is how Andy plays, but this is what it really feels like in his mind. So really fun. I love it. It's just probably one of my favorite <laughs> intros to any it's, Pixar it film. It keeps getting better. Yeah, like, definitely. They're all really good intros. The third one is just ridiculously awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he does a ma- you know manual instead of digital playtime in, in Toy Story 2 also with evil Dr. Porkchop. True. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it was a really cool intro in this one. When we're talking about the opening, the sci-fi stuff really is great. And like, my entire life, I've really, really loved sci-fi stuff like Star Wars, Cubics, Captain Scarlet, Thunderbirds. Yeah, and the guy who, the guy who created Thunderbirds died a few months ago. That uh, that made me sad. That's sad. I love freaking Thunderbirds. Even if the film, even if the film sucked, even if the film sucked, and Team America somehow managed to make more money than it was supposed to. <laughs> and and Zerg as well. When you talk about the sci-fi, so Zerg may be one of my favorite Pixar characters. He's just. Uh, and he's voiced by Andrew Stanton, which makes him inherently even cooler. <laughs> I think that's why I like the short fry, you know, the Toy Story tune so much. It's just because it had Zerg in for that right little 10 seconds. I'd love to see a Toy Story tune based solely on Zerg, like rather than actually toy-based. Like, like you've got at the start of 
Toy Story 2 when it seems like it's actual Zerg, an actual Buzz Lightyear. Have just Zerg, a shot about Zerg. Just Zerg doing his laundry. Zerg making corn on the cob. Something about Zerg. That, that corn on the cob would be really epic. <laughs> yeah. I could say what I always found really interesting as well is Wayne Knight, who voices Al in Toy Story 2, voices Zerg in Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. That makes zero sense. Oh, that just makes Zerg seem like all snivelly then. Yeah, he's, he's not as menacing in Buzz Lightyear of Star Command as he is in Toy Story 2. I mean, that guy's never played like the strong characters. Yeah. I just. I just I don't even call him. I don't even call him by his real name. I just call him Dennis Nedry, because <laughs> that was the first role I ever saw him in was in Jurassic Park. <laughs> nice stick, stupid. Yeah, I I think I also like this film because uh, it had some good sci-fi tie-ins. Uh, f- you know, for my own part, and everyone on this who's listened to this podcast has heard this, but Star Wars was definitely the most important uh, movie series in my life, and uh, I just like the I just like the really funny um, parodies and, and spin-offs of it in this film. Especially with the Zerg buzz, uh, you know, there's the fake buzz that kind of comes into the movie for a while, yeah. and then he shows down with Zerg, and there's the epic revelation, you know. I also think it's cool because this movie kind of this movie kind of nods to video game culture, which was kind of coming out, you know. Rex he picks up the strategy guide for the Buzz Lightyear uh, <laughs> game, you know, and he's like, he's like, are you kidding, Buzz? Check this out. There was actually a secret entrance uh, entrance to the left in the shadows. And Buzz thinks it's in real life, and they find like an <laughs> elevator shaft to the left of the shadows. You, you just you can't help but love Rex. He's so so lovable and so dorky and hilarious. I can't press the jump button and the fire button at the same time. <laughs> they bring us back to all those the characters that we kind of fell in love. Like there, this is a big ensemble. Yet everyone has their place and their role, and we get to grow and see more about them. Mrs. Potato Head is introduced. Um, who was kind of like the running gag in the first one. And, and she's hilarious and just perfectly casted, I think. Um, it really plays off um, with Mr. Potato Head, Mrs. Potato Head, sort of like this old, uh, long-married couple, even though it's only probably been a few years. So I, re- I really like that. I like that we see more more toys. Um, let's see, what's his name? Um, the Penguin is introduced. which Easy. Wheezy, very minor Easy. character, but sets everything up to, you know, why Woody ends up in the garage cell. Yeah, I love and, a, and a great allusion to uh, Linux. Uh, the Linux mascot <laughs> is a little penguin. <laughs> I wonder cool. how many in the audience got that. I didn't get it until I started going to AM this semester. But, oh, uh, actually, I, di- I didn't get it until I uh, looked on the trivia for IMDb this morning. <laughs> nice, nice. It'd be, little, it'd be a little odd if you did get it as a little kid, though, to be fair. Oh, never. I love Wheezy. Well, I feel swell. In fact, I think I feel a song coming on. Hey, suddenly Elvis Presley. I know. And, uh, <laughs> but I thought it was cool that they maintained such a large cast and then they added new characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of the, I don't know. It was cool because it's not like they expanded, gave characters like new facets, you know, of their their personality. It's not like they gave them like new stuff. It's, they kept the same cleverness and quirkiness of each character. Um, they just made it more entertaining. Definitely. One, um, one thing I really liked about Toy Story 2 was, though they introduced all these new characters, they didn't like sca- drastically scale down the role of the other characters, whereas in yeah. Cars 2, 
when you've got these new characters brought in. You've then got Luigi and Guido who say about three lines between them for the entire film. True. That is good because we've grown to love each one of them. They have their own unique quirkiness and and things that we love, and so I'm glad they're all still there for the most part. And we still have room for new toys. (laughs) Oh, new toys. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) I just like how his mom never figured that out. Like, hey, I didn't give him those toys. Well, yeah, it's like, well, he didn't want to push the button at the end. He's just like, thanks, Mom. She's probably, like, way downstairs not even listening, so it it just never gets brought up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one, One new character I like was Buster. Um, yeah. Another mark of the advancing animation technology at Pixar, I mean, just compare him with Scud. You know, Scud had the, was, was pretty much a robot, <laughs> an animated robot. It was 1995, so you can't blame him. But, like, Buster, he was cool. He actually moved like a dog and had those expressions. It's just generally great. But when you're saying about the, the toys uh, just showing up at Andy's house, that's a, these toys really don't have much uh, regard for messing with the human world, do they? They, like, steal a steal a luggage cart and leave it outside the neighbor's house. They do purr out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> That's true. They trash an entire street. And yeah. they, they, totally, they totally screw up the baggage claim system for the, for the airport. That's a federal offense. <laughs> anyway, there's, there's a lot of good drama in this film, a lot of really good lines. Now, uh, not much of Bo Peep in no. this film. She was, very, she was minor in the first film. And then she kind of had, like, one one line in this one. And then she totally disappears in Toy Story 3. It's so sad. Yeah, diminuendo of Bo Peep. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I guess Barbie booted her out, and, and rightfully so. She's way more popular. But it's kind of an interesting theme thing because uh, looking at you know, Toy Story had this big theme of, is Woody going to be, is this old-fashioned Woody doll going to be replaced by the sleek new uh, space toy, you know? Sputnik. I always hated those upstart space toys. Um... <laughs> And uh, they kind of did that with Bo Peep. Maybe, maybe she was like a porcelain doll, and we don't, and they never really explained that. And then she just kind of went away because she was a collectible, and they didn't want her to break. Think, maybe maybe think, she fell and she broke. I don't know. I think as well because the woman who voices Bo Peep died in um, in the gap between Toy Story two and three. So oh. I think large, largely they didn't want to recast. And as well, when you've got yeah. the bit with the top, when the toys are getting chucked into the garbage thing at the end, Bo Peep will be in pieces all over the floor that definitely makes sense (laughs) that would be a depressing film more depressing than it already is i know see bo peep seems to she's not an adventurous one like she never goes out um she didn't go on this adventure in toy story 2 you know the rescue mission so yeah she just likes to stay at home she's a stay-at-home mom she watches over her sheep (laughs) (laughs) help us yeah um so yeah that's just kind of my thing Uh, you know and they in this particular film, they probably didn't have a place for her in the script since they were having both Jesse uh, and Barbie, you know. Yeah. Too, can't have too many girls. Cam too many Morgan. female competition. <laughs> <laughs> so next, the big thing is this infamous yard sale, which is definitely um, a very, uh, unlike birthdays, a point of stress for toys. Uh, like, it, does Andy's mom not realize the trouble that she's caused everyone in the film just by putting <laughs> that yard sale sign up? <laughs> No, not at all. This lady is amazing because she drops Andy off at cowboy camp and literally like she rushes back home and she busts out the garage sale stuff like two minutes <laughs> later. Like she wasted no time. Like, okay, he's gone. Let's get rid of all his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new pair of shoes while the little brat's away. Let's sell all these toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She just like walks in and she's like, meh, broken, broken. <laughs> You know, um, obviously Woody is a mistake and she doesn't realize he gets in there. But 
um, he's a popular item when he gets there. Well, she doesn't throw him in the bag. He goes to rescue Wheezy because mm-hmm. she throws him in. Yeah. He's like, goodbye, Woody. Oh, it's so sad. His little <laughs> baleful eyes are like watching him as, as he goes away to his to his yard sale doom. <laughs> hey, but isn't like yard sale mean potential new home? You're not getting played here. Or potential chew toy for a dog. True, true. He could go right to Sid's house. <laughs> yeah, the yard sale's really scary. We always say that, uh, me and my sister Becca, whenever we see like a yard sale sign, we'd be like, yard sale? Yard sale! <laughs> <laughs> see, these quotes apply to so many facets of life. They're just too good. <laughs> I know. So then we meet Al, who, uh, pretty greasy of a character. I mean, he's overweight. He's a... Uh, He's just a, a scummy guy. I mean, he's he's very entrepreneurial. He has his own toy barn, which is the coolest toy store ever, I must Al's say. Toy barn. Um, and they need to have like a, a a souvenir shop in one of the Disney parks. That's just Al's toy barn. Like if they if they make like a Pixar land, that needs to be in there because that's way cool. Seriously. <laughs> but yeah, he just uh, he takes Woody, steals him. I mean, he's been looking for this, you know, Woody to finish off his collection for who knows years, decades. And finally, he finds them and there's, you know, tries to make a, a reasonable amount bid, but she's not buying. And she understands the value of Woody, so thank goodness. But yeah, he, he steals them and this is the big predicament. Yeah, and that's the, that's the whole thing. Like, I really like, um, I really like the big conflict here. And, and you know, it, it sets, the, the film's really about Woody, you know? It's about this big decision that Woody has to make. But I think it's, I think it's cool that they have these really cool, I, you know, Toy Story, the Story Story, series have this kind of a deep theme you know the most important thing uh is 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 to love and be loved by a by by a child you know it's, i don't know it's kind of dealing with like abandonment issues because throughout toy story the toy story series is like this fear of being abandoned by you know the people that they belong to so it starts this big conflict that woody has you know he could be he could be immortalized in the museum but never really be played with again or he could uh you know he could risk it all for this amazing relationship with Andy uh, to be happy and make him happy and kind of, you know, fulfill his purpose. You could go back or you could stay with us and live forever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I just thought that was the funniest part of the art take. Toilet jokes is always funny. They are, they do have depressing themes when you think about it, the Toy Story films. Uh, everything you love will eventually leave you and you will be alone <laughs> forever. And you will be smelted down in a landfill. <laughs> Unless you are rescued by tiny little alien toys. <laughs> Children destroy floor. toys. <laughs> you are forced to rot away in some landfill. <laughs> kind of prophetic. Yeah. Because who, they, went, they went to Sunnyside where children destroy toys. Maybe that's the Holocaust reference then. Yeah, mm. who knows. <laughs> um, so we are, we're introduced to the Woody's Roundup gang, which I think is so cool and so clever. I just... I like these characters. I like that you discover Woody was once part of a set, a cool TV show, um, that he was a big deal. I'm assuming this is, what, 50s, presumably? Well, it's black and white. So yeah, black and white, but still early enough to be on TV. Um, yeah. And we introduced the other members of his gang, which he had no idea existed because majority of toys, I mean, parents don't buy you the whole set unless you're really spoiled. Um, so for the first time ever, he meets the other like family members in a way. He meets Bullseye, Jesse, and Pete. Stinky Pete the Prospector. Stinky Pete. Oh, uh, what a brilliant name. <laughs> hey, you really are Stinky Pete. <laughs> and like, he's... Just wait till you see the outtakes then, Woody. Yeah. 
Yeah, they really capitalized on that. <laughs> but I love I love Pete's voice by Kelsey Grammer. It's just like buttery and just completely on point because Kelsey Grammer, I mean, this was Frasier was still big and he was he was pretty big at the time. Um, he later became kind of the voice of the Disney commercials, but uh, he's great awesome. and, and very menacing when you discover his like true motives and who he really is. Well, he's, he's just trying to protect himself, but he's being very selfish. Oh, yeah. I like that they're bringing Kelsey Grammer, like, they're bringing him back to Pixar again because he's taking over voicing Mr. Waternoose in uh, Monsters University. Yeah. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. cool. It's an interesting move. But now, why did they do that? So. Did, it, did the actor die? Yeah. This is the thing. Oh, that, oh, that was... Waternoose was the same guy as uh, the, the mayor from Rango. He what? Uh, no, what, the mayor from Rango was Lotso from Toy Story Three, I think. Oh, right? that's right. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. Some Pixar villain. <laughs> well, who was uh, who was who was the voice of Waternoose again? Is it James Coburn or Coburn or something? Huh. This is this is the thing when they leave so long between the Pixar sequels, all the voice actors freaking die. <laughs> yeah. Bad luck with Pixar, man. Maybe because <laughs> they pick very like refined actors who have like who've been around a while, you know, and they're not spring chickens, but. Yeah, not good when the sequels pop up. It's like, oh, okay, we got to explain that this one isn't around anymore or replace yeah. them. But you make a good point, uh, Morgan, that these are like new characters, but they're all bundled up in this like, you know, cohesive theme, you know, mm-hmm. that we understand. It's not just like, hey, random toys. Oh, that's cheesy. That's cheap. But it's like, hey, these are Woody's companions. These are his family that he never knew. Isn't that kind of weird? To think about that, yeah, you know, Bullseye, Bullseye's great, but I think Jesse really steals the show because she's just so sweet. Yeah, I you know, think so I, adorable. I think Jesse is the breakout character of this film. Personally. She's a breakout character, and she breaks your heart. Yeah, not good. But then we also in this movie we get to see Buzz's family in a way. I mean, really, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Buzz has like a sister, sort of like a Supergirl version of Superman, but well, you, you got to watch Star Command. Does he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's okay. There's more people, but. Yeah. Anyways, but then we we really just see Zerg, which, you know, there's the big reveal about uh, (laughs) with the Star Wars reference that it's actually his dad. Father. (laughs) I've got a lot of catching up to do with my dad. My my dad who just survived a fall down an elevator shaft that would have killed a human, let alone a little plastic toy. (laughs) I know, it's so weird. Like... Jesse you plays know, and, like, glided to safety. I, I would want, <laughs> like Batman, I would like to say that, uh, you know, when toys fall together, they can just assemble themselves like the Iron Giant. Uh, but, Woody, <laughs> but Woody can't do that with him with his arm, so there goes that theory. No, I guess it have to be a plastic toy for that to happen. <laughs> so we, yeah, yeah, we said we're introduced to the Roundup Gang, and can I just say, like, I wish this was a real show. Like, why didn't they do a Woody spinoff series where we actually get to find out what happened in that last episode. I mean, I'm so intrigued. Like, I'm exactly like Woody. I'm like, all right, all right, next tape. <laughs> what? What? Jesse and Prospector are stuck in a dark cave, and the Prospector just lit a stick of dynamite thinking it was a candle, and now they're about to be blown to smithereens? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right, wipe the wind, bullseye. <laughs> and it has the greatest theme song ever made as well. Oh, I would listen to that on my iPod all the time. So, yeah, just the and then um, 
you know, this is a huge emotional moment for Woody. This is where he really starts thinking, hey, I could really belong somewhere and be more. Okay, he sees all that cool memorabilia and merchandise. Hey, howdy, hey, it's me on a yo-yo. Hey, I was a yo-yo. <laughs> was. Oh, but yeah. I get um, it. There's a snake in my booth. Oh, I get it. Clever. In my, oh, it blows bubbles. Clever. You know, this actually uh, recorded, they actually brought all that merchandise in. To uh, for Tom Hanks to look at, and they recorded his reactions. Awesome. So that's it's cool. I love I love when they do stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that that that's just this emotional, huge emotional connection with Woody because on the last episode, Woody sings, "You've got a friend in me," you know, and then this kid that looks exactly like Woody comes up and starts loving on on Woody. And and I'm kind of skipping ahead because this is when Woody has to make his big decision, and he kind of finds a way to make it all work. But um. I thought it was it was just a really cool way to kind of uh, communicate that Woody had a choice to make, you know. Mm-hmm. Very good plot. And what I particularly read that bit, I mean, in Toy Story 1, uh, You've Got a Friend in Me is very clearly this song about the relationship between Andy and Woody. But what I really took from it this time around as well is, particularly when you see Buzz walking away while it's playing in the background, I, I personally, I think Woody's kind of thinking... Maybe I'm being selfish. Maybe Andy will eventually get sick of me, but I've got these friends and this best friend in in Buzz who I'd be abandoning if I went to Japan. So I, I think this time around it kind of represents the relationship between Buzz and Woody as much as it does between Woody and Andy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then with Jessie, we kind of see her her side of the story and her abandonment issues. And <laughs> Talk about a heartbreaker. <laughs> and apparently she's afraid of the dark. I guess I, I guess I never got that. I know she I know she didn't want to be in storage because you know she'd be pretty much alone for forever. But I didn't know she was afraid of the dark too. Probably, I guess that's what she meant. Probably a consequence of storage. <laughs> oh, causality. But yeah, it's pretty sad. You know, real real quick thing that we haven't really talked about yet. When when Woody he reaches for the out and this like gurgling noise. Oh, it's like. <laughs> It's like just the way they animated Woody's face. You could just tell how horrible oh. that was for him. And the, like the camera pans from like where the, uh, the noise starts and like moves up. And you're like, <laughs> oh, no. There's just a silent but deadly belt right in his face. It's like a shark attack or something. You know it's coming, but you can't you can't look at it. Yeah, it's very Jaws, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they should have just played that music in the background. Oh, man. They no totally could have. <laughs> oh, I love it. It was so freaking hilarious. Maybe it's mean, just like toilet humor. I, I guess they can't just use this in every film, but I don't get why they didn't just do the same thing they did in Toy Story 1, come to oh, life. F- yeah, freak him out. Scare the crap out. Although, with Al, I guess he might have gone all, um, what you call him, from Pinocchio and put him on stage as a freak show. Yeah, or he, or he would have been like the um, he would have been like the teacher from from the later seasons of uh, what is it? Fairly Odd Parents, you know, where he's obsessed with fairies <laughs> and he just wants to catch them really bad. Yeah, we could have that going on. I don't, I you know, I don't, I don't think Toy Story was ever about um, discovering that your toys are, you know, not not it's not like a Last of the Mohicans kind of thing. No, not Last of the Mohicans. Indian in the cupboard, the Mohican <laughs> in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. But yeah, I guess they could have just done that. Could have just killed Al. <laughs> Strangled him in his sleep with his uh, little pull cord. Yeah, wouldn't have been that. Might hard. have been a bit of a darker. That's more Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this just reminds me of Small Soldiers. 
man. Jesse's song is ridiculously sad. I mean, I've always found it sad, but I never used to really cry at it that much. But the older I get, the less emotionally stable I become. <laughs> That's why at Toy Story 3, I basically came out completely red raw eyes basically slitting my wrists it's such a depressingly sad film and a brilliant film i mean it it's arguably the greatest animated film of all time and that is arguable because if you say it's anything other than one of walt disney's first five films you're almost committing heresy but yeah but now whenever i watch jesse's song i'm absolutely in tears i mean I, i watched it last night and i was i think it's the most i've ever cried at it yet it's just so sad and I don't think it would have been quite as sad if you had Randy Newman singing it in his kind of goofy, <laughs> funny voice. But um, <laughs> oh, poor, poor Jesse. Why are children so evil? Yeah, it's sad. It's like it wasn't intentional. It was just sort of forgotten, you know, um, left under the bed and things move on. Like I, I do that with certain things. I'm, I'm into it and every day I'm, I'm, you know, I play with it. Well, not like toys, but when I was little, like I play with it day after day <laughs> after day. And then I just, one day I would stop and then it turned to two and three. And next thing you know, wow, I haven't played with that thing in years. Next thing you know, they're singing a song about how horrible you are. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, you know, and I love that, like, oh, there's going to be redemption. The the little girl who's Jesse's owner. What was her name? Um, Emily? Was Emil- it? Em- Emily, Emily, yeah. You know, Emily picks her up and then it's like, oh, redemption. Like, it's going to happen again. She's going to play with me. And it's like. No, in the box. Into the box with you. <laughs> going to leave you by this tree from a bug's life. Which I I don't really get. Um, <laughs> I like the reference, the bug's life reference, but I mean, was that what pickup they were doing? Just randomly on the side of the road, leave your old toys and, you know, some Salvation Army will pick it up. <laughs> I used to like this toy. Let's chuck it in a random box by a <laughs> random tree I went to when I was little. <laughs> uh. Gotta love Toy Story. Yeah, there's, there's nothing not to love, apart from, you know, all the Holocaust and 9-11 references. Of course. <laughs> so let's switch over to the other side of the story. Uh, it's kind of easier to talk about these in two chunks, but um, the rescue mission and Al's Toy Barn. Uh, well, Al's Toy Barn has got to be the coolest place ever invented, if not just because it has an entire aisle of Buzz Lightyear's. <laughs> uh, to me, that shows, like, how, like the state of this world and consumerism like it's been i don't know if if buzz lightyear is still popular obviously since he has a whole aisle stocked full but it's been like four years or maybe two years i'm not quite sure but buzz lightyear is still a huge thing and um yeah there's the buzz lightyear i, aisle I, I think awesome. i think that was just pixar's way of kind of twisting the knife a little bit because they couldn't really get anyone to want to make the toy story toys at first despite the fact it's Toy Story, so the toys kind of make themselves, and they eventually got Thinkway toys, I think. So then when you kind of got Barbie driving through, this is the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order enough dolls to meet demand. It's kind of Pixar like, oh, who was right? Yeah. Come at us. And so forth. Well, it's like, never again will that happen to Pixar. Everyone is... We've got people fighting to the death for the chance to sell the toys for one of their short films you know what's great about this, like, the Toy Story is it like, these characters really do have legs, and that's, like, a marketing term to say, like, something can keep going and going and going. I mean, I know little kids where they still have Buzz Lightyear toys, like these big, the big chunky ones that are about 12 inches long, tall. I still do. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
this is still a, a toy that is going to it's going to be like Mr. Potato Head. It's going to have longevity that lasts for a long time. I don't see this ever getting old for kids. Actually, oddly, um, just something I noticed in the Art of Toy Story 3 book, that a bit of pointless trivia, perhaps worth mentioning. It was originally Hal's Toy Bar, not Al, uh, Hal with an H. Really? I, 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 uh, that's possibly the most pointless bit of trivia ever. But, but that's what I we're just, all about. <laughs> I, I was just flicking through it and I saw the picture. It's like, Hal's Toy Bar. Like, what the? Who's put that H on there? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Al has a bit of a better ring, but... <laughs> Lots of, I, I thought the Toy Story, uh, the Toy Store, uh, Al's Toy Barn sequence was really cool. Jurassic Park reference, you know? Oh, yeah. When Rex is trying to get back in the car. <laughs> I, I genuinely never noticed. I mean, I knew I knew that was in Jurassic Park. I knew it was in Toy Story, but I never picked... I don't know if I'm being completely dense, but I never picked up on the fact it was a Jurassic Park reference until... Oh, you're, you're, not, you're not dense. It's just that's the second most influential movie in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, I really like it. Uh, they... They uh, they run into the uh, rock and sock and robots who <laughs> instantly get in a huge fight. Oh, he was talking to me. No, he was talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're voiced by John Lasseter and either Andrew Stanton or Pete Doctor or someone respectively, actually. Nice. Yeah, I think I saw something on that. Yeah, um, little little voice cameos, but yeah. We talked about Barbie briefly, but me being a Barbie girl, love seeing that Barbie's in this one. She, they, they couldn't get Barbie, like, they couldn't get Mattel to give the rights to put Barbie in the first movie. And so after this one, um, you know, when they, they were doing a sequel, of course, Mattel was like, take our money, please. And, um, of course, there's a hot pink Barbie aisle, which is in every toy store. Like, this isn't the right aisle. This aisle's pink. <laughs> um, and she's voiced by Jodie Benson, who's the voice of Ariel. So I think she does a great job. She doesn't sound like Jodie Benson. She doesn't sound like Ariel. So good voice work by her because, I mean, that is a good Barbie voice. It's very quirky and, you know, it's <laughs> hurt. Sounds like you'd expect Barbie to sound like. Yeah, exactly. I just like, well, when, I he meets, I just like when he meets the new Buzz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Am I really I've, that fat? <laughs> Am I really that fat? Oh, don't tell me I was this deluded. You're breaking I, I, ranks, Space Ranger. I, I like the bit just after that when they find like the real Buzz, and like, um, like when they're both together, and he puts down the little helmet and he starts choking on the air, and everyone just <laughs> kind of looks up at him like, "Well, to be fair, Buzz, you did that like what two years ago?" And he's like, "Fine, I'll show you my foot." <laughs> I know, I know, I love it. <laughs> it's okay. It's a blah 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 blah. You mean it's a yep? And he's a oh yeah. <gasps> Your Majesty. <laughs> I love stuff like that. You know, a little, a little leftover Space Ranger protocol that he's held on to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I love all the just the jokes and the lines in in this movie. I mean, I think nearly every line is quotable. <laughs> it's a good sign of an animated film to me. You could get through life just quoting Toy Story two every single day. Exactly. No one would know what you were talking about, but it would be cool. Yeah. Maybe I should try that one day. My life as a Toy Story 2 quoter. <laughs> <laughs> what um, I really love is when people who don't really like or aren't that fussed with animation come out with random Toy Story quotes. Like, I don't want to use my head. That kind of stuff. Just like, it, it, it makes me feel like I win. <laughs> okay, so we're introduced to Zerg, and we've kind of talked about the elevator shaft, and so um, Zerg, Zerg follows them as they cross the road, and they create this huge turmoil. And I just feel bad because I've... In these movies, even though I know they're not real, I feel bad for the people involved and the car accidents and the money and the insurance claims. It's just not good. They've destroyed this town. 
I know Poirot would have been absolutely rich, and now he's crying on TV. Because of these reckless toys who steal pizza vans and break roads and yeah, so that's a question. Like how with luggage? How much money could Al have gotten from this collection? What what do you estimate that this would have been? Well, he said he said let's add another zero, and I'm assuming that wasn't up from ten to a hundred pounds, so, uh, or dollars rather. So I I think it's got to be in the hundreds of thousands. Oh, nice. Not too shabby. Yeah, I do feel bad for Al, even though he is kind of scummy. I'm just like, oh, he worked so hard getting all those things together and creating that collection, making it perfect. And then at the last moment, because toys apparently come to life, they ruined it all. <laughs> Thanks, toys. <laughs> well, is it was it worth it, you know, you know, because they, they would have been miserable in that in that museum forever, you know? Well, yeah, to, to be fair, though, he presumably did legally acquire Jesse, uh, the prospect and bullseye. So what Andy has basically done there is stole thousand dollar toys from a poor man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. He doesn't know. So so what's the protocol on this? Are toys allowed if someone's your owner? Um, you have to do whatever they say, sort of like Sid's toys have to go under the pressure and just take it. Um, if other toys were going to go into a museum and they didn't want to be there, could they potentially run away as well? I guess so. I uh, they know. could like kind of cut open the glass, break out. <laughs> the security footage would probably be a little confusing for <laughs> when we can <laughs> analyze true. it. Yeah, they don't really take some of these other things into account. Like, you know, at the very end of this movie, in the baggage claim, I'm pretty sure there are probably cameras around, but eh, no big deal. Moving toys, the day in the life. <laughs> I it's so weird. I was going to say, what I never got as well is, I mean, we know from Toy Story 1 that humans can hear the toys when they talk. Mm-hmm. Yet you've got occasions like when Stinky Pete and Barbie are on the back of that little girl's backpack and they're having a like, loud conversation like, <laughs> oh, you're going to love such and such. She's an artist. I mean, surely the little girl here, those voices coming from my backpack. <laughs> I don't know. She's just a girl. She doesn't know. <laughs> She's too stupid to realize toys are alive. You know, why is Stinky Pete so um, so upset? I mean, he's going to be played with and be get attention from this girl. Maybe he doesn't want playtime. No, you know, I mean, to him, to... wasn't it all about Children being... destroy toys. Wasn't... Oh, that's true. Him, it was all about being mint in the box and, you know, having that prestige, even though he was the most boring toy. I mean, this all happens <laughs> when there's sets of different toys that come out. You know, the most popular one will get taken off the shelves, and then there's this random side character... That's just like the only thing left, and you're like, I don't want to buy that for my my niece. <laughs> it's so that? true, though. Stinky Pete was probably the least popular character in Woody's Roundup. Yeah, I mean, you who know? wants to play with a stinky old man? I know, and a, I know. It's no wonder. It's no wonder he spent an eternity on the dime store shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end, everything kind of uh, resolves together. I really like. We didn't talk about this. The cameo, which is made um, of the the toy restorer, he's from uh, Jerry from Jerry's Game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I like that whole bit. I like the music um, and just just the funny little references like um, Woody's bald spot. <laughs> uh, it's just a good little moment. And then he gets restored and magically, you know, little blush on his cheeks and he looks good and he's ready and presentable. That guy's kit is awesome. Like, I want to know if there's really people like that who have little kits and little pumps and, you know, their little airbrush. I don't know. I think the world of, like, restoration for toys and, and artifacts are pretty 
mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I think probably originally they just put Jerry in there because of animation constraints, because of how quickly they made it. But it's just a brilliant reference, and particularly if you're aware of Pixar in the larger scheme of things, rather than just like, oh, yes, this is Toy Story 2. It's just a cool little reference that you enjoy. I'd quite like to see that in another in other Pixar films, like you got, uh, I don't know, you got Inside Out or something. You've just got random uh, the guys from One Man Band. One Man <laughs> Band, sorry. Yeah, One Man Band. Uh, walking through the background or something. Or you've got uh, in The Good Dinosaur, you've got the little thing from Bounding or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so at the very end, they escape and they decide, you know, join us. And so Woody takes Jesse. Oh, yeah, we talk about this. They go through the... They steal the Pizza Pizza Planet truck, which is a great moment. (laughs) I seriously doubt he's getting this kind of fuel mileage. (laughs) And then there's the little, of course, green aliens, which, you know, just classic Pizza Planet. And then they end up and end up at the airport. Everything gets resolved there. And then they're back in Woody's room. And you've got you've got Bullseye, the world's fastest toy horse, able to keep (laughs) up with the taking off plane. True. (laughs) Going a lot must be like sixty odd miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, that's so. that's yeah. pretty good. Bullseye's pretty fast. <laughs> he's, he's riding like the wind. <laughs> the, the sixty mile per hour wind. <laughs> awesome. A plane, a speeded wind. Hey, you know they got crazy, you know, winds and dust storms in the wild, wild west. So he had to be. He's as fast as the haboob. Oh, the haboob. <laughs> so um, I like how this ends because they end up back in Woody's room and and they have a party. And yes, they have a party, and Woody has gotten damaged again. So, so Andy has no idea that really anything's changed, but he he packs his arm full of stuffing, which is so hilarious because it's just giant lopsided muscle. Um, <laughs> and Bo Peep is all over it. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just can't get enough of Woody, Bo Peep, can she? No. And then they end it with a lovely song. And, of course, there's three of the same Barbie as background singers. Which I find highly uh, believable yet unbelievable because, like, birthday parties, people always will just give you, like, the $5 cheap Barbie. So <laughs> it's believable that um, Andy's sister probably got three of them at one point. <laughs> and then, of course, um, Wheezy has returned. He's, he has a new uh, squeaker, which was found at the bottom of uh, the toy chest, which I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> that I, was... think, I think he stole it from the shark. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, Mr. Shark found this squeaker for me, but don't ask him. He won't be able to confirm it. <laughs> and yeah, big party and singing fest. So good times. And then we can't forget the bloopers. Oh, the bloopers. Dude, this is so what an awesome tradition. They... Why did they have bloopers in Toy Story 3? They had like a little epilogue bit, I suppose. But yeah, I, I miss the bloopers. When I don't they... think they wanted to ruin the mood of the ending of the, of the third film. It, it would have been a little... Uh... Against the theme of the film. As well. well, you're at such an emotional moment. I mean, I guess they could bring you back up with some laughter, but yeah. I mean, so this started in A Bug's Life, right? I think so, yeah. And what was the last film recently they've done? The bloopers? Uh, Monsters, Inc., I think they did it with as well. Like, yeah, because they've got the bit where they're all walking forward and they fall over. And then I remember seeing Brad Bird tweet about it a few months ago. Someone asked him, why did you stop doing the bloopers? He said... We stopped doing it as soon as it started becoming predictable. Yeah. Which makes sense, but I don't know. I like it. And uh, I suppose they got the little things at the end in the uh, credits of Cars as well, which not bloopers, but you got kind of the little um, uh, drive-in movie theater bit. Yeah, I like the bloopers. They're funny. Um, 
you know, they obviously we know these aren't bloopers because they took a lot of time to actually do. Uh, animation <laughs> is very meticulous, and you don't just have bloopers. I mean, you do. Um, sometimes they show those bloopers of animation going crazy and wonky. That's a bit different. So, I don't know. There's the one where he, like, falls into the tape dispenser. Uh, lots of stinky peak jokes. <laughs> Making him seem like a rapey old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like... So you two are exactly identical. <laughs> I'm sure I could get you a part in Toy Story 3. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, one of them gets a part. Yeah. yeah. I guess he, like, killed the other one or something. <laughs> Best explanation. That's, <laughs> That's why he wasn't in it. They couldn't have a convicted murderer in the, in the third film. Oh, that'd be funny if he came back as the villain for the third one. I guess it'd be a bit predictable. I mean, he already was the villain. But if that girl was I actually... I suppose Pixar don't like really reusing much of their plot points. For yeah. The like, you don't see, like, Sid coming back with, like, a sledgehammer to try and kill people in Toy Story 2. <laughs> yeah, probably better that way. Yeah, because otherwise it does get a little old. But it would have been funny if that girl was, like, Bonnie, and so <laughs> she went to the daycare, and then he became this dictator through uh, <laughs> at the daycare, which would be funny, sunny side. That would have been that would have been a nice link, actually. You yeah. should suggest that to them for Toy Story Four. Oh yes. <laughs> so, what are your la- what are your overall thoughts of this film? I mean, we know it's everyone's perfect. So perfect. Yeah, near perfect. I mean, they took what was supposed to be a straight to video release and they turn it into this this awesome you know extension of the toy story phenomenon like seriously it's just as good as not if not better like i think it's good i think it's great when you can make your sequel equally as good as the first like you know there's no one saying oh toy story one was terrible toy story uh, two is so much better you know there's no one who says that they're all equally and consistently amazing you don't come around that very often yeah like if you say oh what's your favorite star wars film there clearly are wrong answers to that. If you say, oh, I, I don't know, I'm, I really love Attack of the Clones, then you'll get oh. face. Yeah, exactly. If someone says, what's your favorite Indiana Jones film, and you say Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you will be shot. You just if, walk away right there. Yeah, if someone says, yeah, it's like Die Hard, anything after, I don't know, 2. Uh, Shrek, anything after 2. <laughs> Jurassic Park, well, I, I don't think there's many fans of uh, 3, is there? No. Uh, it's just, like, but with Toy Story, it's kind of like there is no wrong answer. And if you look at the Rotten Tomato score, I think they've got like what two bad reviews with Rotten Tomato on okay. Toy Story Three, which is mainly just people like, oh, people like this film. Well, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've kind of agreed that this one's better than the first. Not saying the first was bad, but what made this specifically better? I think Toy Story One was brilliant. It's possible one of the most original films, animated or otherwise, ever made. And Toy Story 2, what really did it for me is it built on everything everything that was good about the first film and made it just that much better, that much more personal, that much funnier. And I, I don't think they could have possibly made Toy Story 2 any better if they had a full production for it. So let's rate it. So um, we'll start with you, William. What do you rate this film? I think I can figure out. <laughs> <laughs> well, shockingly, I'm going to give it five stars. And why? Because it's perfect. Okay. Yeah, five stars. Uh, this movie really has it all, and it, it, it expanded and improved over the first one without necessarily uh, making uh, one or the other look bad. So, uh, you know, uh, my reasons are uh, the past two hours of what I've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, refer to podcast. 
I also give it five stars. I gave the original five stars, and I've claimed this one's better than, than that one. So obviously this one's five stars. It's just so good. It's heartwarming. Uh, replay value is huge for me, and I can just always go back to this and watch it and love it. Characters are great. Story is great. Clever, funny, near perfect. Perfect. No, I'm not even saying near perfect. It's a perfect Pixar film. Whoa. Seems well unanimously agreed. Yes. Holy cow. <laughs> when has that ever happened on the podcast? Uh, well, sometimes we, we kind of have the same feelings. Like, we all like generally the same things. So I didn't I didn't bring William on because I expected us to be haters and him to be the only fan. They're <laughs> just going to segregate me and tell me how stupid I am. No. How <laughs> A big thank you to William Jardine. Am I saying that right, Jardine? Uh, yeah, sure. A lot of people tend to put more emphasis on the je, which makes me sound kind of exotic and French. Oh, how do you say it? Jardine. Oh, je, Jardine. Huh? We could, okay. we could do like a, we could do like a Latin translation, and be like Jardine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do that. It makes me sound more interesting than the actual Scottish roots of it. William is the editor in chief at a113animation.com check out his website because it's really good very very insightful comments and discussion on his blog so thanks William for joining us it was a lot of fun well thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me as always I've loved talking Toy Story 2 and it's been a great pleasure to be on the podcast with you both yeah you are I guess our official first guest host yeah um, we well, had my... well, your brother Stephen was yeah we had my the... brother but I mean he was just my brother because he was around He's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I expect to be like, proudly mentioned on the website then. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us, the Rotoscopers, at therotoscopers.com. We can, you can find us on Twitter, the Rotoscopers, Facebook, Tumblr. We are on Hypable, and we are also on Animated Views. We are their featured podcast and uh, YouTube channel. So check us out at all of those places. Also, you can find us, you can find the podcast, the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. Um, you can also just subscribe directly to the RSS feed. So lots of places to find us. I'm actually really like, liking Stitcher because you don't have to download the episodes. It just sort of streams it, which is really nice if you have a smartphone. Because iTunes, it like chooses when it wants to download these. And sometimes when I'm ready, it doesn't have them downloaded yet. Uh, if you like the show and you like what you're listening to, just... Leave us a review and a rating. It really helps get us seen by iTunes, and hopefully we can get in the featured section now that we have new artwork that really kind of amps up our look and, and gives us a bit more credibility. You can find Mason. Where can they find you? Oh, shoot. I, I, I've tried to work on updating my blog, but uh, for now I'm not going to even refer to it anymore <laughs> until I get it until I get it changed. Okay. It's, Mason, kind of, it's kind of pathetic. Mason just exists. So, uh, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter, Morgan Stradling. Uh, William, what's your, your Twitter? Where can they find you personally, I guess? Uh, well, the blog one is at A113Animation. Uh, the personal one is at William K. Jardine. Well, thank, uh, thank you for having me. No problem. It's been our pleasure. Yeah, it's cool. We had our own little British invasion on on, uh, <laughs> on the Rotoscopers. Woohoo! of diversity. We might have to bring yeah. you back when we inevitably do Toy Story 3. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd, uh, cool. uh, 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 um, I'm just here. You know how to contact me. Are you a student? Uh, yeah, I'm in the very last year of what we call sixth form here, which is kind of like the last year before I go off to university in September. Oh, wow. You're a lot younger than I thought. Yeah, I'm 18. Even more impressive. Wow. I love it. <laughs> well, thank very you very cool. much. Well, awesome. Awesome.
Talk to you later, guys. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye, guys. I like the bit as well when they're just outside Al's house and Rex is like, maybe if we grab some balloons, we can float our way to the top. He's like, right, that, that sounds like a good idea for a film. Let's make a film about that. They should, you know, they should make a sequel to Up called Down. Have you seen the, have, have you seen the fake poster for that? It's like Carl, uh, Doug, and Kevin gathered around a grave. Oh, no. <laughs> Russell, Doug, and Kevin, rather. It's so depressing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of cool themes about here. Yeah, I just thought it was really cool. Like, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm confused. <laughs> Definitely confused. Well, because Tangled was about Rapunzel with the long hair. Mm-hmm. and But she's in the Rumpelstiltskin thing story. What do you mean? So what are they going to do? Have Rapunzel come back? Or? Rapunzel's not in Rumpelstiltskin. Uh, never mind. Wait, what is she in? Rapunzel? Rapunzel's in Rapunzel. Oh, she's just in that let down your hair thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. What have I? What was I been smoking today? Sorry, I'm looking at this photo and it looks like she's standing in her own. She's sitting in her own hair, but she's actually sitting in the golden straw. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, you can cut hey, that if you want, Morgan. The, uh, please cut that. This, um, but um, this might be the Rapunzel sequel, right? Instead of um, <laughs> Rapunzel, will be the one sewing her own hair. You don't need to patronize me.